Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. Dee Dee's eating sushi, which is the food that people eat when they don't know what they want to eat. I made a mess again. Sorry, Kirsten. I'll be two seconds. Oh. Anyway, it is the food that people eat when you're just like, oh, what am I going to eat? I don't know. Shit, I'll get some sushi. No one actively goes out for sushi except for people with lots of followers on Insta that go to Nobu to be so fabulous. Right? Kirst is agreeing. Get stuffed. Are you talking about me? No. You are. Did, did you say? Well, that start will just have to be a mystery to you until you hear it in real time. Did you talk time. about me while I was gone? Oh, Look, and I did a millennial thing. I bought a cup of tea when I could quite easily have walked about five paces in that direction and made one for myself. And then I spilled it all over my jumper on the way back. Have a muff nut, Chanel. I am. It's a... Let me just read the packet. I'm not sure what kind of show we're doing. Is this Muffin a and show? donut. Because we haven't mentioned anything about what our topic is. And we're it's both a just lunch here style. Eating. This says muffin plus donut equals muff nuts. Oh, it's That's a four pack. Funny name, seriously. It's really good. good. Are they any good? I generally yeah. do my own baking. I love baking. Yesterday I made. Why are you rolling your eyes? Don't you cook? I genuinely love baking. I do all my own baking. I do. She I bought love cooking. these donut muffin things and she walked in and plonked them on the table and said, You can have one. Thanks. And then she said, I don't really buy baked goods. I do all my own baking. I do. I always make it because it never tastes It's very good. You should be proud of that. I wish I had more time to do that. It's fabulous. Mm, It does require time. It does. But then I also have a family who uh, got a taste for it now. But do you have one of those pantries where you have all the ingredients in your pantry at all times that you could just go, I feel like making a flourless orange poppy seed cake and you can just do that. In that voice. voice I I feel like making a flourless orange poppy seed cake and you can just (laughs) do that. My pantry is not well equipped for that. Oh, no, I see. I'm up for it. Once you're up, once you've hit that level... And it's got a bit confused because my daughter's got a lot of – things have got in there that I don't quite know what to do with them. Like what? Quinoa. Oh, quinoa. Couldn't say that for a long time. Quinoa. Quinoa. <laughs> um, and then there's the little like things quinoa. that I've been putting into biscuits and I don't know if that's what you're supposed to do with them. What are they called? It's another kind of seed. Lax- Kirsten, help me. Laxatives. What's it called? No, um, uh, and they sort of turn to like slime balls in your teeth. I have no what? idea what you're oh, talking it's about. Like, um, what? It's like they look like poppy seeds and you put them into biscuits and stuff. I don't know. Well, I have been. Oh, anyway. know I'm going to say it wrong. Is it be putting chia? It in food and feeding chia. it to people. Chia. Oh. There's chia seeds in there. And I don't oh. really know if I'm doing the right thing with them, but I've been baking them in these biscuits that I've been doing with raisins and spices. I love and stuff. chia. I feel like it makes and you walnuts. poo really smooth. Yes. Well, no, it does because we're, are we doing poo <laughs> <Does>. again? So <laughs> a lot of died. this podcast becomes pooey and mm. penisy, doesn't it? Well, you always seem to go there with the penises. But anyway, chia is really good for getting your guts moving. And we all know about my colon problems, so oh, I'm apparent, always up. Apparently a clean colon. You have to go first this time so I can eat a piece of my sushi. Did I tell you about how I was – did I tell you <laughs> on the podcast – Is this poo shoot? Because I yeah, don't want to hear it. It is. It is. <laughs> did I tell you all cursed about I'm eating my sushi. the second time in my life I was recognised? 
No. Okay. No one ever recognised I'm going to tell this story me. on the podcast. Come on. Because it's disgusting. Um, so, uh, and I'm not saying I want to be recognised. That's not what this is about. But mm. it, I've, it's only ever happened to me twice in my life. So normally when people think they know... Hold on. Who, I'm going to turn my microphone off so people don't have to hear this. Okay. So normally when people think they know who I am, they think oh, we went to high school together... I was like, where do I know you from? Oh, I get that. Where yeah. Are you, are you the lady from the library? Where are, yeah. I don't know. Where are you from? Anyway, so get this in your mind. Naked, in a hospital, just hospital gown on where you can see your buttocks, your buttocks out the back. And I'm going in for like a half colonoscopy. Um, so they just had to look a little bit up there. So mm-hmm. I didn't have to drink the full-on gallons oh. of crap you have to drink so that your whole system's clear. Yep. That I had to do once before. Didn't have to do that this time. I just had to Fleet. have... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember my dad having to do it. It was terrible. Fleet. Was like, yes, do people. Not, yes. Do not get between me and that bathroom. If you need to Google, Google Fleet Enema. And it is the shit of nightmares, literally. So anyway, you can't administer a fleet enema yourself. It has to be done by the nurse. Anyway, when you're in hospital, they have to do it. You can't do it. It involves you lying in the fetal position. I don't want to hear any of this story. No, you're going to. And um, they, the nurse comes in and she says, Now, Chanel, we're just going to do the fleet enema and we're going to just put this... Um, insert this. She doesn't say where because you know where. You, you're both on mutual ground with that. And then she says... What, so you're telling us all this and suddenly being coy about saying anus. Well, it's a weird... Are you for no, real? it's just we've had this discussion in the newsroom about what you say, about how do you describe that. You say... Back or front? Back back door? Back. Yeah, back bum. Yeah, but... <laughs> back bum. <laughs> no, you back bum. Anyway, so... Uh, she goes, all right, so just lying down there and just make sure you're breathing. And I was like, okay, yeah. I didn't think this was going to hurt. Fuck me. Anyway, it really hurt. It so hurt. Like that's a one-way valve for me. I know people are in all into all sorts of things, but for me that is a one-way shoot. Anyway, so undoes the, the cap, up it goes, and I'm struggling to breathe. She leans over me and says... Are you Chanel Vella oh, from not, the news? No, not now. Yes. No. Yes. <laughs> While it was still in there. No. And I and she goes, oh, you're not breathing. <laughs> I was like, no, because I have something up my anus and I am mortified <laughs> that in this moment with that up there naked, you have said, are you Chanel Vella from the news? <laughs> she probably recognised you early, but she was trying but why to make that conversation. Why? wasn't the time. Don't know do. who I am. Don't ask me in that moment. Come up to me at any time. I'm even call in a toilet in the hand washing area to say, are you? I'm there for it. Anyway, and then I had to sit there while she spoke to me about the news while I was holding the fleet. Because so after they put the fleet up, then you have to sit up and like clench and hold it do in there. You? Yeah, you have to clench. And you have to clench until your stomach feels so sick. Like, you know, the... the the disruption you have like when you're driving home after yes. you've had two paddle pops, three l- lattes. And you've been sitting all day at a yeah. dinner party or something. And you know it's going to be explosive, to... yes. right? It's like that. And she goes, keep holding. And I'm like, oh, I can't. I can't. i got to go. i got to go. So I'm like running down the hallway with my buttocks out of the back of my thing and just knowing that she knows I'm on the news. 
<laughs> what do you reckon she tells people? She I if she goes and tells your name people out. and she says, I put a fleet enema up Chanel Vella's butt. <laughs> That's what she tells people. <laughs> How mortifying. It is a bit. Very much so. That's lovely, Chanel. Thank you. Don't know Thank why you for I coming. decided more, to share that more story tea, in that moment. Speaking this... of tea, just can I ask a question? You're a, are you a millennial? What are you? You're, well, you're younger know. than me. Do you meant to keep the lid on or off? I think with tea, you take that plastic lid off. Because I don't know if I want to. And I always feel like I'm like a two-year-old with a sippy cup. I'm going to go first. first. Yes, you go first, please. Who was that listener that hated our waffle? What was her name? Oh, we've forgotten her because we don't care about it. Interesting. No, that was a different one. I'm just, no, interesting because we've got a feedback I need to share with you in a bit. Okay. Maybe in another episode. All right. Now, this is a story about Rebecca Schaefer. Know it or not? One of our complainers has been back in touch with us. Um, (laughs) Yes, you're going to love it. Okay. Rebecca Schaefer. Know it? No, no. So you can't ruin it. Now, Rebecca Schaefer had it all. She was. Who's there? Interrupting cow. (laughs) Interrupting cow. Oh, Rebecca Shaker had it. Stop. She had it all. She was 21 and she had hit the big time. So similar to last episode, I'm really going with a Hollywood theme here because I've got this magazine, as you may have heard, and I'm loving the shit out of it. Anyway, so Rebecca was from Portland, Oregon, and had co-starred with, do you know this person, Pam Dorber? Why are you asking me a question I've got? I don't know. She was from Mork and Mindy. I didn't Yeah. Oh, okay, great. She's, she's Mindy. See? That's why I asked you a question. Okay. But I had a mouthful of sushi. Okay. So uh, she co-starred along Pam Dorber and she had just finished a role in a film. It was 1989 and her star was on the rise. Now, the 21-year-old lived in a quiet area of LA. I think she lived in Fairfax. Uh, but it was her neighbours who first noticed a man in a yellow polo lurking near her home. It's one of the Wiggles. Is that oh, is that a car? I thought you meant like a polo neck, like a skivvy. It is a pol- like a polo top. Oh, like the shirt ones with yes. the crocodile on it. Yes. Oh, We're thought- delving too far into the detail. Okay. It's a yellow polo top. Well, you specified it. I thought anyway, it must be a key piece of evidence. What they noticed was that this man would always be carrying, he was always carrying a manila folder and it was full, this folder. It was bulky and he held it like he was afraid someone was going to snatch it from him. Mm. Creepy. Now, it became quite clear who he was after because neighbours say they saw him pulling glossy photos of Rebecca Schaefer out of the folder and he would, like, shove them under people's noses as they walked past and he would ask them if they'd seen her Mm. and if they knew where she lived. Now, some of the witnesses from the time said they thought it was weird but they also didn't think much of it because it was LA and weird shit happens all Mm. the time. But the weird man in the yellow polo was later seen talking to a taxi driver and he was overheard saying to that taxi driver, is this a house or an apartment? So Hmm. not long after that, neighbours heard a gunshot and two screams. They ran to her home and one man, his name was Kenneth Newell, said that he saw Rebecca Schaefer's body lying in her doorway and he remembered that her eyes were open but they were glazed over. Oh, oh, that's such a horrible... Image, isn't, isn't it? it? Yeah. So she was rushed to hospital, but she could not be saved. And the man in the yellow polo was seen jogging away from the area. Her loved ones were truly baffled. They spoke to industry people and they said that this was so 
just you couldn't imagine why this would happen because everyone loved her and she was so humble and lovely that they know that they knew that no one who knew her could have Mm. done this Mm. and word started spreading and rumor started spreading that perhaps it was an obsessed fan Uh. now we need to go almost 800 kilometers away police start receiving calls about a deranged man behaving bizarrely and disrupting traffic what was he doing when the police got there they found a man called robert bardo He was once a cleaner at a fast food outlet, but at the time he was unemployed. They spoke to one of Bardo's friends and that friend told police they thought Bardo could have been the killer because he had, Bardo had told this friend that he'd written Rebecca Schaefer a love letter and he'd threatened to hurt her when she didn't write back. At the time, there's no, you know, there's no internet. Detectives in Tennessee, which is where he was found, faxed a photo of Bardo to the LAPD, Mm. they showed Rebecca's neighbours and they said, yes, that was the man they saw lurking in the yellow polo. I think that nurse should send you a love letter. Oh, could you imagine? After having been so intimate with you. God, honestly. She's been right up your clack. She really had. A friend of mine calls it the Chiminda. Think about it. Chiminda Vaz, the cricket player. Oh. Lemon and Zaz. During his trial, it was revealed that he had been stalking her for two years. Wow. He paid two years a long time. Is that what was in his folder? Yeah, he just all stuff about her. He'd actually paid a private investigator to follow her and to find out where she lived. And it later, I read in some articles, um, came out that her door buzzer was broken mm. to see like the camera from who was downstairs oh. so she just went to the door and opened it because oh, no. she didn't feel feel that she had anything to worry about because she was living in a good area yeah um that didn't have any crime so why wouldn't she go to the door and she didn't have any enemies so yeah. why wouldn't she go to the door now he is currently serving a life sentence in california for her death uh, and her death caused the lapd to create a specialized unit that solely focuses on stalking crimes wow uh, they take mm. it very seriously. They do. I know in um, radio, you would find the same. In any kind of media, mm. you occasionally get somebody who... Well, this is why all my, my social media, the only social media I use is really Instagram mm. and Twitter, but my Instagram is private. Yeah. Because I work in the courts. Oh, I'm on it, though. I'm watching everything you do. You are on stalking it. Stalking you. I just, I sometimes wish I didn't have to be on private because I'm very funny. And I could share that you laughter are, with the world. Mm. Yes. In fact, I found myself describing to someone the other day how funny you were on Instagram mm. and the world are not getting to see They're it. They're not. But they can't. Privacy concerns. Well, and mm. you know what? And I know I always like to have a dig at Nicole, but I think that um, it's, you know, you don't want people saying bad things to your partner. I'm not saying that people would. Yes. But There's I don't... a lot of Nico in the shower on your Instagram. Um, Again. In radio, so people who are bipolar who are hearing voices, mm-hmm. the radio can often be quite confusing from them because they're, oh. we're also disembodied voices. Right. And one of the strangest things I, I ever had was... I never thought about that. What's that? I never thought about that. Yeah. And I had a guy, and this was probably 20 years ago now, but he he got through to me. His name was Craig and... and he somehow got through his mm. call to me while I was at work. It's on the radio station I was working at the time. To your desk or on air? I can't remember. I think I was actually sitting in the news booth about to, about to read a bulletin. Okay. And this 
guy's call got put through by reception and he said his name was Craig and I actually had coincidentally mm. a friend called Craig and I thought I was talking to him. Oh. He said, oh, it's Craig. And I said, hi, Craig. He said, where are you? And I said, I'm about to read the news. And he said, well, I'm waiting. And I said, what What are you, what? Oh, no. And at some point here it twigged that it wasn't the Craig him. that I knew. And I said, where are you? And he said, I'm in the Burke Street Mall. <gasps> and I, he said, haven't you been getting my messages? And I've realised by then that it's not the one. I said, no, I don't know what messages. Anyway, this poor fellow um, had been hearing me reading the news, but his brain was telling him it was something completely different. He thought he'd been sending messages to me. And so I don't remember how things ended up with him. There was another man that used to call me at um, another radio station I worked at, and his name was Brian. Did I tell you? I'm sure I told you this. He was a Vietnam vet. No. He was quite sweet. I felt a bit sorry for him, but he was a little bit aggressive at times and he just was fixated on me. And he would oh. call the studio and, I want to speak to Dee Dee. I want to put me, put her. And they would make excuses and say, oh, she's just out getting a tea. She's yes. just gone to the ladies. Yeah. And occasionally Isn't I would. is funny, though, that we always try to be nice about it? Yes. When yeah. we shouldn't. Yeah. We should just be well, like, hey, you need to back off. I know you want to talk to Dee Dee, but she's never going to be available. Well, they did. Like, what do you do? They I would do know. that as much as they could. But yeah, the part of me that's like you, you where you nice. want to be nice to the person. Yeah. And I'm glad that I did. And I occasionally would speak to him. And that's how I found out he was a Vietnam veteran. Mm. And he talked to me about his family and the fact that he was on medication. So whatever had happened to him in that war had left him very damaged. Okay, so maybe he wasn't too crazy. And he wasn't. But it reached a point in the conversation where I was able to say to him, how are you today, Brian? Have you taken your medication? Are you, oh. have you, and he would say to me, no, I haven't had it for a few days. And I said, well, okay. you need to go and see your psychologist and you just need to go and make sure that you keep looking after yourself. And sometimes that's all it took. To st- mm. And then the calls would stop for a while. Right. But one of the when he was fully having one of his episodes, he rang me one day and I said, what are you doing today, Brian? He said, well, I'm going to Kmart, okay. going to get some seedlings, some okay. pansies, and I'm going to plant those in the garden. Sure. And then I'm going to kill the prime minister. Oh. <laughs> At which point I said, okay, well, they look, really we're okay. They fixated on killing the mm. prime minister. Yeah. Um, is it is it the right term to say mentally unwell people yeah. get a real fixation on presidents and prime ministers? Well, probably because whoever was in authority was the mm. person who sent them off to war Yeah, that left them damaged the way they are. Mm. Mm. Oh, what an interesting career and life I've had. That's just part of the many I, stories. I'm always nice to people who are in drug-induced states that I see on the street, and that mm, happens quite often be. because we're out on the street shooting for the news. But don't you and, always think? How did they get to be that way? No, because some people just tell them to F off. And I am I always say, hello, sir, we just need you to stand back for a second so I can just do this and then we'll have a chat. And they're like screaming about Jesus. And you're like, <laughs> just a minute, sir. I'll be right there with you. In those situations, I'm nice. I think that's nice just to acknowledge them because they're probably – I piss on you or I don't know. No, but they're invisible for most of their life. I it's know. nice to do that. I'm always nice. Um, I, after, our, we t- when we talked to Chanel, uh, Chanel, Basma and Sabrina yes. the other week and I said to them, and they agreed with me that oh. my body in a petrol tank idea, you know, you're the queen of, oh, I know it had and then Bernie, uh, please have said that I've got the best place. It turned out to be just some ordinary. Pardon? Childish ways. Sorry, pardon. What do you say? Behind my back? Yep. 
Go tell us a story about some, how someone was heated a petrol tank and how it all worked out great. Well, it didn't. So I do have to <laughs> apologise to you because consider yourself vindicated. I went looking for mm. a body that it had been. It wouldn't work because then it would contaminate the petrol and all the cars that were using it would get effed up and then no, someone would go, something's wrong. I'm still not convinced, but I couldn't find a ta- an underground tank. The best I could find was a petrol tank. It was one of those big above ground yeah, ones. Yeah. All right. So have to go back to 1979. Okay. This is in England, in the northeast, along the banks of the River Tyne at South Shields. I don't know why there was a little bit of an English, uh, Irish accent Tyne. there. Um, there was a big industrial area called Velva Liquids. And mm. what it was, it was a collection of gigantic tanks. Like they're as big as a football oval and they're above ground. Okay. Um, you know, those huge, big, bolted yeah. together, big things, massive. Uh, they were built at the end of the 19th century. So what would happen was ships would come up the River Tyne Time. To the to the Viva, uh, Velvet Jetty. I feel like I want to say Volvo just for the fun of it. We've been vulgar already. Why wouldn't yeah, go. No, we've it's been, Velva. We've been right off the rocker, this mm. one. We haven't gone near the front area, though. <sighs> Don't. A um, friend of mine called it Ham Sandwich the other day, and I found that hilarious. Anyway, the ships would come up to the Velvet Jetty. They would discharge their liquid. I'm not saying that in a sexual manner. I don't just know where it's going. I haven't even concentrated on the story. Because... Do you want me to start again? No. 1979, England, big area, storage tanks, ships would come up, they would have a liquid cargo. So okay. it might be sure. paraffin or it might be yep. petrol or something. And they, so they would have these huge long pipes that would connect to the tanks and they would dump, dump their out. liquid into there yep. and then it would be you know, sent off to whoever wants to buy it. Uh, tank number one, which is one of the biggest, held almost a million gallons of petrol. And in 1979, they sent four workmen to clean it out. So the petrol had all been drained. Oh, could you imagine the fumes? Horrible. That well, would that's be horrific. Yes, it was. They had to have special gear on. So the hatch that they were going to, to clean it out, it was at the bottom of the whole thing so that it could only enter once the thing had been empty. But you're right. Okay. Fumes still in there. So they opened the hatch and there was a polythene bag there which they thought contained maybe oily rags, which is something they used a lot around the plant, or rubber gloves. Two of the men, Mick Mallonby and Eddie Dawson, they took a closer look and they realised that what was inside the bag was a bit more gruesome. In There were, there were actually two plastic bags. They were wrapped in canvas and then in the plastic. There was a human torso and then they looked around. There was a smaller bag and that contained a human head. The legs of the body were never found. One of the men said the arms were still attached, but they were twisted. The bag wasn't tied. The second bag contained a head with long hair. The torso was all black and they could see that the head had been bludgeoned with a hammer. So, as you said, petrol fumes. Getting the whole thing out of the tank was a bit dangerous because, um, uh, I mean, any spark could explode the whole thing, including the body. So you can only... Mm. You can the, only enter the tank from the bottom. Yes, to stop people going in there. Yes, because these things when are it's like, full. Yeah. So how was the body in there? Well, just hang in there. Oh, let's skip to the end of the thing before Sorry. I got there. Uh, there was sludge in the bottom. Very dangerous. Mm. Um, it took a, a little while to get the post mortem done because they they were worried the body would actually explode in the morgue oh, because it, it of was course. so impregnated with petrol. Yeah. Um, so they didn't know how long the body had been there. The tank had last been cleaned out in the 1960s. This was 1979. What? And who was it? Okay, so they started. So yeah, let's find the out who it is. Body will not first. break down in petrol. It partially preserves it. 
which is a good and a bad. Yeah. So they started looking through missing missing persons files. They were able to establish it was a female, mm-hmm. uh, and as I said, a bit partially preserved. So they could say that the body. They were able to tell that the body must have been put into the petrol within four days of when it died. Therefore, how did, that's amazing. Because, and I don't know how, because it sort of preserved everything as it was in the state when she died. Okay. But because this tank hadn't been emptied for over 10 years, they were able to say pretty definitely this body has been in there for 10 years, yep. nearly 10 years. Sure. Um, they were also able to work out she was about five foot three. She had auburn shoulder-length hair, blue eyes, pierced ears, a broken collarbone that had healed. Can I Google what the inside of one of these petrol tanks looks like? Yeah. They're those, you know, it's above ground. I don't know how to describe um, like, yeah, they're like 30 metres high and 100 metres wide. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you Not know, when you. you see along a shoreline, it's a big industrial area and there's just yeah. big, and they's, they're like, I don't know, when, uh, they're, they're tanks. Okay. They're not under the ground. All right. She was slim, well manicured fingernails, and her teeth had a very high fluoride content which allowed them to narrow down the area that she might be from. And she also had this rare abnormality with her teeth, a high number of cuspids, I think it was. I've forgotten what it was I read. Um, They were able to confirm via x-rays using her bones that her age was between 16 and 20. This description, have you looked up the tanks yet? Yeah, I've learnt something. What? People don't go in them to clean anymore. Probably not. No, No, they have a machine that gets lowered and it like, spurts out like jet water to clean. That's much better. Yeah. But it looks creepy in there. Like, look at that. Dark and scary. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So this Mm. physical description appeared to match that of a girl called Eileen McDougall. She had been 16 when she went missing from her home in South Shield, so same area, Mm -hmm. in 1970, which was nine years earlier, very close to when stop Googling. Her fingerprints were on a school report from back in 1965. They were a match with the prints from the torso. Okay. So it's Eileen. 16, yeah. Um, Who killed her? So it must have been someone who had access to the Velva Liquid site because this is an industrial site. Not just anyone could get in there. Uh, Eileen had been hit over the head at least five times. They were able to say that was while she was in an upright position. That would have caused a lot of bleeding. There were some stones embedded in the body, which they think may have come from being dragged along outside this particular tank. Um, and the papers, and we talked about this in our last episode, how the media always have to give a catchy name to mm. sort What does she have? The torso in the tank. Mm. What do you think? I think it's good. It's got alliteration. Yeah, hmm. I like it. Torso in the tank. So I'm just filling in a little bit about Eileen. She lived with her mum on an estate called the White Lees Estate. Oh, I meant to credit... Before I started this, and I'm going to have to do it at the end because I don't think I've written it down. It was a really good little documentary. Maybe I'll get to it. Uh, that was made uh, like a crime investigation oh, documentary I like those. years and years ago, though. Very old. I'm going to play something from it later. Um, yeah, it was good. So, and I watched a bit of that to get some of this information. So she lived mm-hmm. on the White Lees estate with her mum and five sisters. Her dad travelled the world working mm-hmm. as a tank cleaner. Eileen was described as bright but rebellious. She'd run away from home several times and she was on probation for stealing a handbag. Had she been reported missing? uh, They did eventually. So um, 
she would stay with her sister at her flat sometimes, which coincidentally overlooks the Velva Liquid site. Eileen had several jobs and several boyfriends, and some nights she and her sister would babysit three children who belonged to a man called Ernie Clark, mm. who worked night shift at Velva Liquids. In 1969, not long before she was murdered, Eileen went to Kent and she stayed with her brother Billy for two weeks. He brought her back to South Shields at about 2.30 in the afternoon. She didn't go home. She got changed into a party dress and in the in the doco, which is a little bit old, they described it as a, as a revealing dress. And I thought, you can't oh, do that now. You can't judge no. what she's wearing. That's victim blaming. It's, it is. Mm. It's like somehow, oh, she was wearing something revealing, therefore she deserved, deserved to die. Deserved to be murdered. That's right. Mm. And rightly so. Um, she went out in her party dress and went to a boyfriend's house. There's a whole thing about something rained. She got wet. She, stayed, she snuck in. The dad caught them in the morning and threw her out because she right. wasn't supposed to be there. And then there was something about her mum the next day saw her down at the shops and Eileen said to her mum that she didn't want to come home. Mm. So really she had nowhere to sleep and nobody knew where she was staying because she couldn't go back to this boyfriend's place. She didn't want to go home with mum. Okay. Ernie Clark, this bloke she'd been babysitting for, became the number one suspect for several reasons. Mm. I'm going to chuck one in here myself. This is, and this is the 1970s. He was black. And mm-hmm. there was a hell of a lot of racism going on. Yeah. But no one mentions it anywhere, but I reckon that was part of what was going on here. Yeah. It's just me editorialising. So Ernie Clark knew Eileen from the babysitting. He left Velva Liquids 13 days after she went missing. Mm. But he didn't go voluntarily. He'd actually been sacked. He'd had a disagreement with a colleague, a man called Ronald Embleton, and what had happened is Ronnie Embleton bloke had been promoted and at that same time Ernie was sacked. So I don't know what had gone on, but Ronald obviously won the tussle and he got promoted. Ernie got shown the door. Ernie absolutely denied from the beginning that he had anything to do with her disappearance. He said he'd been working at the time that Eileen went missing. And then some new evidence came up. And this involved Tank 4. So she was found in Tank 1. Tank 4 was a smaller tank down the other end of the the whole plant. Mm-hmm. And this same bloke that Ernie Clark had had the dispute with, Ronnie, who got the promotion, he said he suddenly remembered, nine years after it had happened, that he saw Ernie Clark doing something strange at Tank 4 at the other end of the site. He said that when the case came up, I thought I'd better report it. So what he said he saw was Ernie digging a hole at Tank 4 and then filling it with liquid wax that then solidified. It was as if he was hiding something. So police went to Tank 4 and they dug through the wax and underneath it there and they found some items of clothing. There was a blue cardigan that had been sliced up the back as though Mm. it had been cut off a dead body. The jumper would have fit Eileen and her family said, yeah, that is the sort of thing that she used to wear. So Ernie Clark, on the strength of that evidence alone, was charged with her murder. Mm -hmm. The blue cardigan was the key piece of evidence. He was found guilty in 1980 and sentenced to life in prison. But Ernie always said that he was innocent. Even when he was given the opportunity to plead guilty to reduce his sentence, he he never deviated. He just said, I didn't do it. In 1981, he sought leave to appeal against the verdict, but he was refused. Oh, here we are. Here, I'll credit this program. And it is on YouTube if you want to watch it. It's about 30 minutes. In 1983, mm-hmm. 
The BBC makes a show called Rough Justice and this particular edition is The Case of the Confused Chemicals and they found some new evidence on this case. They somehow got hold of the jumper and it just worried me ever so slightly in this 1981 thing. They're holding it in their hands, they're waving oh. it about, they're taking it and showing it to people Gosh, like there's no gloves. Or... Anyway, they, what they did was quite good though. They... they um, took the jumper to some scientists, they had them examine it, and using records of what had been stored in the tank, they were able to say that this jumper must have been placed in tank four before the murder. So, yeah, because the tank had had, so it it had paraffin wax on it or wax of some sort on it, and that tank had been emptied and then something else was stored in there, I think maybe alcohol. And so... Yeah, it had got. It, they were able to look at the records of what had been in the tanks, so they knew it had one thing on yes. it and not the other. So it wasn't a cardigan from her buried after her death. It was got you. put in there, and they said that this Velva Liquids place used a lot of rags, so they to clean up spills and stuff like that. They actually tracked down this lady. It's so lovely. Um, she's in her little workshop. She's the lady that they bought the bags of rags from. So oh. people would donate, you know, the old yeah. clothes they didn't want anymore. And she had this – you, have you ever seen a butcher where they have like a knife that's yeah. like a blade hanging down? Yeah. Well, she's got this sort of – it's on the ground. It's a stand and she goes – and she runs cuts the clothes the over it and it cuts them up. And the guy, the reporter says, can you show us how, and he's waving the blue cardigan evidence around, but he said, can you, here's another cardigan, can you show us how you would, they didn't tell her what they were asking about. They said, just show us how you would cut a cardigan. She cut it exactly the same as the blue cardigan. So that blue cardigan was probably just a rag that was used at that site for mopping up a spill. So they showed this BBC show to former Attorney General uh, Sam Silken. He watched a preview of the program and he said, I have no doubt whatsoever that if the whole of what I have seen had been in front of the jury at the trial, they could not have conceivably convicted Mr. Clark because they convicted him yeah. because of that jumper. Yeah. And it had nothing to do with her thing. Um, and also if he was going to dump a body, why would he put it where he works? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So there was nothing to connect Ernie Clark with Eileen in the last months before she died. Sorry, my pages got stuck together. Uh, The program screened. uh, Just about everyone believed that Ernie Clark was innocent. An appeal hearing opened in 1986. They threw out a lot of the original evidence, but the appeal court judges decided that the weight of evidence was still such that Clark was guilty, so he stayed Mm -hmm. in jail which I think is very sad. He got married while he was in jail. There was a woman who wrote to him and I think they were still together when, when he came out. She was there waiting for him. Okay. He was uh, 53 when he married her in 1994 after 14 years in jail. So he was then 63 and described as in frail health. And I don't know if he's still alive. I don't think he did it. I think this was an innocent man, jail for a crime he didn't commit. So there's just one question remaining. If Ernie didn't kill Eileen, who did? Wait, did Ernie get out of jail? Yeah, he got out in 1994. Okay. Um, But he was frail then. I feel as though I may have seen somewhere that he passed, but I won't say that just in case he hasn't. Uh, And I feel terribly, terribly sorry for him. Um, So who killed Eileen? We don't know for sure, but they found where she had been sleeping on those last few days before she died. So Mm -hmm. in the middle of town, there was this sort of open house that was spoken of like a hippie commune or something. All sorts of different people would um, go and stay there. Um, 
We're just going to hear now a little piece from that documentary, Rough Justice. This is a woman called Gail Sorensen who occasionally stayed at this same house and she confirmed that she saw Eileen there. Everybody used to go. Everybody who was into drugs or anything used to go there. And that was the only place in Shields then where people could go for a smoke or whatever, you know. So there's always loads of people there. Now that there's ac- always loads of people there. I want to do that accent. That's what. There's actually no reason for me to use that particular piece of audio. I just did it for the accent because oh. I couldn't. <laughs> first time she said it, I had to rewatch it because I couldn't understand what she was saying. Oh, go there for a smoke or whatever. Basically, what she's saying is that pretty much anyone would be come through the doors. There was another woman who slept there when she was a 15-year-old. So remember, Eileen was only 16. Mm -hmm. Uh, This woman was babysitting there one night, and she said that this place was highly dangerous. And what she says, I think, may have an answer as to what happened to Eileen. Uh, Somebody came to the door. They didn't actually knock because the person that came knew that there was no lock on the door. So this this man came in, he told me that the lady I was babysitting for said he could come and wait for her returning. So I let the the man in. I put the baby to bed. Uh, The man lit the fire for us. He walked back over towards me and then I just felt a thud on my head, on the back of my head. My head went down, and all I remember is he was kicking and punching us in the face. Remember the evidence showed that Eileen had been hit in the back of the head? This happened at the same time, and this was a girl who was in the house with her, same age, within a few months. Yeah. So we can only assume. Creeps on the loose. Yeah. The attacker was never caught. Very sad, huh? Very sad. Mm. And that is the torso in the tank. Go Not in that accent. And have a smoke or whatever. Shall we do some uh, feedbacks? Okay. All right. Uh, let's see. There's some for you and here's some for me because I've got one that I'm dying to read. You well, go do you, first. I'll go first. Okay, okay, we've got Monica on Facebook. She says, hi, ladies, nice things, nice things. I've listened to episode 50 and thought the Diane Brimble case sounded familiar. Turns out it was because I listened to a fiction book recently that pretty much retold the whole story with a teenager as the murdered girl instead of an older woman. If you enjoy audiobooks, this series is by Catherine Fox and she mm. says it is great. Oh, there you are. Mm. I don't know if I could go over it again. That upset me so much, that story. Yeah, it was very mm. upsetting. Um, oh, God, what has happened? Well, do you remember when I did an accent that upset someone? Yeah, they're back. Pretty much every episode. Yeah, well, we've offended many <laughs> groups. Um, yes, so... you. If you've been with us the whole journey, you may recall. I, I remember s- this. I read someone's yes feedback. I did it in in a bogan. Can I a bogan voice? You did it in a Bojan voice, and the, I had said to you, "Don't do it in that voice." I did it anyway. Yes. The person was very upset. Yes. And um, I then sent a message back apologising sincerely. Yes. No, right. it didn't intend. And rightfully so. But part of me was a little defiant as well. Thinking, you were. You're a little arrogant about it. Guess who sent a message? Has she written back? Elsie. <gasps> Elsie. And I just don't I'm know which voice to do this in. Um, she knows. Well. Well, don't do it in any voice. Well, why? She's back in touch. 
She's a she's come back for more. She's come back for more. I'm seeing no. this as a request. <clears throat> oh God, I'm not ready. I'm Good not afternoon, Dee Carshan Ellen Kirsten. I've now made her sound like a tradie. No, you're like older lady Bojan. I don't know how to do it. I'm just going to read it. Yes. Um, what she says is, I'm still listening every week to your <gasps> podcast. Yeah, I was so worried about this person. I thought. I was too. I, and I, we were dude, I was in the early sorry. stages. I know. I was bruised. Yes. Mm. Okay. Uh, despite Dee Dee roasting me to filth last time I wrote in. <laughs> <laughs> roasting me to filth. I'd just like to let you all know that after a month of abstaining from my – how's this voice for you, Elsie? After abstaining from my favourite podcast, <gasps> you've invited me to turn on my auto – oh, you've inspired me to turn on my auto-capitalisation feature on my iPhone, get a grip, and also to never again write into any future podcasts <gasps> whilst day drunk after a work show <laughs> because I'll make a fool of myself Was clearly. Was she day drunk? Well, she must have been. <laughs> Cute. She's really cute. She sent a picture through. She's adorable. She Aww. and she and she did a little. Is it what is it when they do writing on a picture of themselves? But yeah. she'd done nice things on her t-shirt, like it was written on. Is that a meme? I don't yes, know what it is, cute. but anyway. I'm glad. Um, I would never have believed that my message would have led to the major theme of accents still occurring even after episode fifty. Believe it or not, I found myself <laughs> re-listening to your episodes. Isn't she a trooper? And I just wanted to remind you that in episode thirty-six. Didi touched on looking into the bodies that may or may not have been pulled out of the Yarra River. Oh, yes. And if you can find anything, I would love to hear some stories about it. Okay. I'll get to that in a second. Keep up the good work, guys. Sorry about my hormonal moods. Uni is very stressful. I still love her. Oh, and before I do forget, you're welcome for your catchphrase, nice things, nice things. I own 51% of this company. Just kidding. You're most sincerely... This lover turned hater, turned lover, Elsie. I'm in love with her. And Elsie, for you, I have actually been researching dead bodies in the Yarra River. Great. And I've found a doozy. Okay. Um, but I'm working on it. All I haven't right. got it ready to go. It's a work it's in be, progress. It's going to be down I'm the track I'm just so glad bit. that Elsie is back. And she was – Elsie, you scared the shit out of me because I was so worried that we were just like – Listeners were dropping like flies because we defended people. We're very fragile. You were day drunk. I was going to try. We were overzealous. Where's my phone? We're back. Where is my phone? Have I lost it? I don't know. Anyway, you search for that while I talk about um, Kristen spotted this story and she shared it with us. Oklahoma man Rodney Puckett was wearing only his underwear when he was pulled over by police in Arizona. Rodney. Carl's junior employee, Maria Davis, saw him pull into the drive through honking his horn. She then noticed the body of a naked woman with her face in the wheel well. What? <laughs> <laughs> He I'm was not using a blue that, blanket but... to try and cover her, but her legs were still sticking up in the air. Oh. The corpse was Mr. Puckett's wife. Her oh, name was dear. Linda. She was 74 years old uh, and was in the process of divorcing her husband. She had sought a protective order against her husband earlier that year. Mr. Puckett told police that he found his wife unresponsive in their El Paso hotel room, put her in the car and continued driving to California. He's being held at Penal. You're trying to get penises into it. I can hear it. I'm not. I feel like that's the word you said. And when you said penal, Penal County Jail on a charge of abandonment or concealment of a body. Oh, there you are. 
That's cray. Hmm. Love it when you tip us off to a story. Love it when you tell us about when you saw a dead body. We'll take your emails, deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com, or you can always find us on Facebook. Dead Bodies is created by D.D. Dunleavy and Chanel Vela and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.